Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going okay. It's been raining a lot here uh, for the first time, and I don't even remember how long it's been since I've had like a week's worth of rain. Um, <laughs> but it's why I moved up here, so it's okay with me. Uh, how's your week been? Oh, it's been good. It was insanely rainative last week. Like, there was a day where it just poured. It was like Saturday. I think it was last, yeah, last week Saturday, where mm-hmm. it was just like, you had to be very careful where you were walking, because just standing water everywhere. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. Um, I should mention before I forget, I meant to mention this last week and I forgot, but I was a guest on Masterpiece Cinema recently <gasps> talking about uh, Good Morning Vietnam and whether it is held up. Spoiler alert, no, it has not. Um, but you guys can go hear my thoughts on that uh, over at Masterpiece Cinema. And I also appeared on Debating Doctor Who. And those episodes are going to right now they're up on the Patreon, and but they'll be out rolling out over the course of the month talking about all sorts of different doctor who things with friends of the show alistair wilkins and uh, of course allison shoemaker um so th- th- you guys can go check those out have you have you uh um been in taking you said it's been raining have you been taking advantage of it? are you like a go walk in the rain kind of person because i know that i am i i made me think because i put a podcast on and i just like find an excuse to go walk around with an umbrella and it's delightful yeah, no, I like to walk in the rain. I haven't done it because it's just been a little too chilly um, mm-hmm. to go walk in the rain up here, and I don't want to get a cold. Um, <laughs> so I haven't done that, but um, I'm excited that you were on some other podcasts. It's very, very, very exciting. Oh, it's just fun. It's, it's, you, you know me. Yeah. I can talk. <laughs> yeah, no, you... Never. I have to pull teeth to get you to say anything about anything. Anything about anything. Um, And I'm going to use that to segue over to some of the the news this week because people have been continuing to talk and it's been amazing. Obviously, last week we talked a little bit about the Harvey Weinstein scandal and the different uh, uh, people's articles and um, just statements surrounding sexual assault and harassment, uh, specifically in Hollywood, but just in general. And this week, some more people kept talking. So Lupita Nyong'o came forward with her story of being uh, sexually harassed by uh, by Harvey Weinstein. Mo Ryan, friend of the show Mo Ryan, wrote a fantastic uh, piece. I mean, it feels weird to say that, but a really powerful, and of course, it's Mo, so very well-written piece over at Variety about um, her sexual assault on the hand at the hands of a uh, TV executive, and how that could have, you know, pushed her to leave TV review, like, criticism, like, as a job she considered stopping because of her experience with that. Um, we're gonna have links in the show notes, you guys can go check that out. And then today, as we record, uh, there was news that the, um, uh, there was, it was, like, 200 or something animators, um, wrote a letter to, was it to their union, Noel, about- Yeah. Sexual yeah. harassment in animation, specifically including uh, Wendy Molyneux, uh, uh, Shady Petoskey, and Rebecca Sugar, of course, are three very prominent uh, animation creators and producers. Um, but yeah, so that, I it just makes me so happy to see more conversation and that this hasn't faded away because it's been 
under three weeks since Vegas and all the gun talk has faded away. Um, but I'm glad that at least, you know, a week, two weeks into this conversation, we're still having new people come forward and having what feels like potentially successful moves towards changing policies of unions, changing policies at different companies. There was, you know, people ousted at Vox. There have been um, several different uh, companies that are at least making outward shows of changes. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about this? It's good that the conversation is continuing and it's less good that there are just more and more layers that we can keep peeling back. But it's also one of those things where everyone is able to capitalize off something like Weinstein's, whatchamacallit, Weinstein's stature to like start making examples and start saying, well, all right, this is out in the open, so now we can really have a conversation. Yeah. And the benefits of that are becoming increasingly clear. And even to the point where like blips of like what spurred on uh, the animator's open letter. Um, but I also go back to like, I want to say it was the guy who created Uncle Grandpa. No, it was. Um, <laughs> no, it was, um, it was Clarence. It was Clarence. Okay. I think it was Clarence. That's, I haven't um, heard about that one, but there was a different. Yeah, no, th- and- it was a few. It was like a year, year and a half ago, maybe okay. two um had uh sexual um harassment assault issues as well i want to say mm-hmm. um so i mean like it's it has momentum now and i think that's that's really positive um so hopefully like you said like there that this addresses not only like outward signs but more larger systemic issues that people can move past the whisper networks yeah that especially that the animators made a point of mentioning Yeah, absolutely. Well, and this is something that, again, like, if you are in a position to be roped into that Whisper network, then you can at least get a warning, if if nothing else. But there are plenty of people who don't benefit from that, who it would be good. So so the more we can bring this stuff public and get some change happening, the better. And I was also heartened to see, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, I have it bookmarked, but uh, Quentin Tarantino coming forward and and saying, you know, he should have done more and he, you know, he, he knew some stuff, not, not enough to, to maybe, um, feel like he had to come forward, but more than enough that he's ashamed that he didn't. Um, so, uh, I was heartened by that. Uh, Kevin Smith, um, has said he'll donate all the proceeds from his Miramax backed, uh, uh, projects to, to charities for women in film. Um, so it's, also been nice to see some uh, men coming forward as well and and making steps or at least a- acknowledging their complicity right that, yeah that was that's but only doing see. it after the fact in a lot of instances oh yeah uh, this is which, all after the fact <laughs> right which is not great um no. but, but it's yeah. better than I, saying maybe you remembered it wrong <laughs> mr yeah, cross no, that's true <laughs> yeah yeah Anyways, I was very excited to see Better Things got renewed for season three. Are any other TV news come to come to mind for you, Noel? Not off the top of my head. Um, I was kind of keeping low to the ground just because we had like what thirty shows between us this oh week my God. that we watched. Listeners, I counted before we. Started. We're not going to talk about all these, but we have between the two of us, we've watched at least thirty different shows this week, and that's yeah. just stupid. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of overlap there, so it's not yeah, just like. Is- 15 yeah. and 15. 
No, no, there's a lot of overlap, but there's also like plenty of stuff. Like I didn't watch anything that aired Thursday uh, this week, um, yeah. but I also ended up watching like all of Ultron this week, which was admittedly only like six or seven episodes. Now, but I keep hearing Voltron is amazing and obviously you're a big fan or you wouldn't yeah. still be watching it. But yeah. what I heard this week that piqued my interest that I had not heard yet was that it's like Korra level amazing. Is Would you say that's accurate or is that overhyping? I think that's overhyping a little bit. Okay. Um, I was gonna say, because if it was Korra level and you hadn't told me I had to watch it, I would be upset. Right. No, <laughs> I don't think it, I, I don't think it's Korra level. I think that they're, I think that they move a little too quickly for me narratively to mm-hmm. like be Korra level. Um, and there's some good stuff in this, um, especially with Pidge. Pidge's episode this season, this pod of episodes is really, really good. But, and that's probably, like, the closest to a Korra level thing. But overall, I don't think they're at a Korra level. Okay. You will keep me apprised, though. Yeah, no, I'll let you know if they, like, make that leap. But, I mean, maybe in the second half of this season, because this little pod was, like, a lot of, like, set up. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing about it. Um, at the end of the show, a conversation we've both been looking forward to having. Uh, we talked with Dennis Perkins of the AV Club about Halt and Catch Fire and the finale specifically, but also just about the series as a whole. And that was lovely. And we love that show so much. And we love Dennis, too. Yeah, we do love Dennis. Dennis is always a delight to have on the show. So that conversation is really, really good. Yeah, that'll be at the end of the show. But for now, we should get started with our truncated for us but still rather lengthy week yeah. in TV. Um, so let's listen to a little crazy ex-girlfriend because I get to say that because it's back. I'm very excited. And we'll be back with our week in comedy. This week in comedy, we're going to talk a bit about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and that song that we just heard, Let's Generalize About Men, which is just repeating in my brain, and I'm totally cool with it. Um, the premiere was called Josh's Ex-Girlfriend Wants Revenge. Um, then we'll have... I'm sorry. Revenge. Revenge. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we have the Jane the Virgin premiere, Chapter uh, 65. I'll talk a bit about American Vandal Season 1, which I caught up with this week, as well as the finale, series finale of Survivor's Remorse, Family Ties, and Answers and Questions. Then we'll move on to Broad City. Abby's mom will round things out with Brooklyn Nine-Nine's Halloween. Right? Roman, the V being Roman numeral five because it's her fifth one it's a whole thing anyways we'll get there first up is crazy ex-girlfriend and um this premiere was wonderful the opening number was delightful but it doesn't I, like it just immediately got watched in my brain because of how much i love less generalized about men how did you feel yeah. about this premiere and was the song as addictive and stuck in your head for you as it was for me well, I also watched this like um like three four weeks ago, so mm-hmm. I've had let's generalize about men in my head s- since then. 
Um, <laughs> it was just such a good song, and with a really fun, like, little end note of, like, Paula realizing, I have two sons, they're rapists. And <laughs> it's just like, this is very good. Uh, but no, the entire episode I thought was a really good, like, reintroduction to the show. I liked that we had some of the uh, folks from the firm be a little more prominent. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, how all of that played out. And I, I, I enjoyed Rebecca's transformation, even if it's mostly just on the exterior, because her devious plan for revenge is, I'm going to make him eat poop. And she's like, that's not a good plan. On mm-hmm. any level. And then it just spirals into, I'm going to make a real sex tape with a Josh stand-in. And mm-hmm. that's not great either. But that other Josh, that, that Josh Colin. stand-in, was an Olivier. Colin is an Olivier. They've got an Olivier right here. Um, <laughs> so, no, I really enjoyed it. I, it I, I don't think I really realized how much I missed Crazy Ex-Girlfriend until I watched the premiere and went, oh, I really missed this show a lot. I needed it in my eyeballs all of the time. And so this was a really strong comeback for me. So I was I was very enthused about it. How did you feel? Yeah, no, I thought it was a terrific premiere. And the, <laughs> the, the, the pitching of Rebecca, I thought, was absolutely uh, fitting for what mm-hmm. we know about her and her, her, her background and how she has responded to trauma in the past. Um, the way she skates Robert under the you know dust that under the <laughs> under the rug there yeah. um means that's coming back in a big way and uh just like this idea that she does not she doesn't want to actually hurt josh she just wants attention yeah um and because there's no way she didn't think of suing him as well uh but just that's not what she wants to do um so so seeing that play out over the next couple of episodes uh which i assume it probably will uh should be interesting and certainly having having i was so glad to see the the four women on the show all get all these all this great material and these scenes together uh yeah. it was it was it was really nice it, like it's such an easy way to to draw them all together uh bonding over how they're going to destroy josh chan um uh-huh. and it, i i was i thought i thought it really worked yes it's ridiculous that they're having these meetings at the at the office but they've done such a great job of shifting the tone at the office i think since they introduced nathaniel that like they've the the time off has helped soften him and to make him just another one of the gang. And like, I, I still think they really misjudged some of that stuff with him early in his run on the show, but yeah. they've like the time off has helped forget us, forget about that a little bit. So he can just be another part of the dynamic. And we, we are totally fine with, um, uh, with, at least I'm totally fine with the them like her taking over the office for this meeting and these, like the personal and the professional completely mixing, which is antithetical to what we were seeing in the end of the previous season. But uh, as a whole, yeah, that was a strong premiere. It was really funny. It, the pacing was good. The performances were terrific. We love these characters. And um, I think the only other thing we have to talk about is why Joe and uh, why Joe, why Joe, why Joe, Josh. White Josh. I know it's White Josh, but it's YJ. Yeah. Like they like when they shorten it, they don't say Y Josh. Uh-huh. It's Y Joe. Yes? Am I forgetting this? Am I am I totally like am I am I am I taking Gracie Pills right now? I don't I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, White Josh. Yeah. They call him Y Joe. Do they? Yeah. I don't Oh, I've I've W H I J No, I've never caught on to that. Oh yeah, no, that's the thing. 
Unless I'm okay. totally crazy. So I will Google this after we finish recording and one of those two options will be will be a thing. Um, but uh, so D- Daryl and White Josh's relationship had some really great beats here. But I do think while I ultimately was happy with where the, sh- the, the episode came down, it was way too um, dismissive of the legitimate uh, the legitimate complaints that that Josh had. And like, yes, everything that has, I love that they stood up for Daryl in this and they had him stand up for himself. I thought that was terrific in the, the, the other Dr. Copian therapy session. But I do think that his pressuring of Josh, like, oh, it's too much over the top, really overbearing and very controlling and possessive. And that's not okay. And as long as the show comes back to that, I'll be fine. But Based on this premiere, it felt like they were saying, no, Josh was all in the wrong, and Daryl was great, and I'm just a little uneasy about that. How did you feel about the handling of that, like, the, their dynamic around this issue of kids? No, I agree with you in that it, it's handled in a way that doesn't pl- play up how much white Josh's discomfort is valid, and... Th- it gets too rounded up in Daryl's over-enthusiasm as opposed to a legitimate difference between the two of them. And I think that's sort of the larger issue, that they boil, they push the kid thing a little bit to the side to deal with Daryl's gung-ho attitude about things instead. And so that it feels like a little bit of a bait-and-switch in terms of what they wanted to really discuss. And so that gives them the opportunity to come back to the child issue and to come back to how Daryl was approaching it while still providing something of an acknowledgement resolution that Daryl's approach does help White Josh in some ways. Yeah, and that, that yeah. it's not... Because... Daryl is such a potentially laughable character or laugh atable. Yeah. He's, he's the he's the butt yeah. of the joke on other shows, and so I always appreciate when they validate the elements of his personality that are so often overlooked or underappreciated on TV, like stability, like good heartedness, like you know, like, like I think a perfect example of this is um, I'm your best friend, but you're my best friend, but I'm not yours. Yeah, but I'm not yours. Um which is such this beautiful moment in the you know last season and something that would just be a pathetic and just really cruelly mocked on so many other shows. So I always appreciate when they when they do have this love and respect for Daryl, but I think kids are such a just a, such a big issue. We're going to talk yeah. about this when we get to the Supergirl um that any like if you try to play like bait like you said bait and switch it so we're gonna use kids to actually talk about this other thing i feel like that's a bit of a cheat yeah yeah it is but it's a way to delay that conversation so that they don't have to resolve it now so they don't have to break them up i'm I, after this yeah. i kind of felt like uh oh, they're gonna break up and we're gonna be okay with it by the time it happens but we're gonna be sad yeah is that how you're yeah, feeling? I'm going to be very, very sad. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see. Okay. Let's move on to Jane the Virgin and chapter 65. And uh, Teen Wolf fans don't get on me, but I still don't care about Adam at all. Oh, and... why does he get his own narrator? Oh. Well, I enjoyed the narrator. No, I enjoyed the narrator too, but why does he get one? Yeah, he's not interesting <laughs> enough at all. There's not enough chemistry there. I don't 
Like, it's just such a misfire for me. Yeah. Yeah, they need, like, we'll see what happens with it. Maybe they'll win me back around, but, like, every time that they would start, like, having Adam's song be her love theme, I was like, no! But, I mean, it makes sense, but, like, no, don't make him such a central part of this show. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And he's, he. there's, A, a lack of chemistry in between the two of them, but there's also just the fact that I don't feel a connection to him, like, as a character either immediately, in the same way that I kind of felt one in regards to, like, Raph or to, um, oh god, I've already forgotten his name. Michael. Michael, thank you, Jesus. Um, that I already, either one of them, and it's just like, but I don't care about you, and I think a lot of it is that the show's trying to aggressively make me care about him. Yeah. And that turns me off a lot. It's just like, look how kind of cool and sweet he is. He did the love cue. He's always eating. He's got his own narrator. And it's just like, no, you're trying really, really hard to make me like this guy. Except for the fact that I'm totally on 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 board with Abuela and Zoe when they called him to tell him not to show up <laughs> <laughs> to his own wedding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um. I liked where they went, I guess, with with Raph and Jane in this episode. If they aren't going to commit to uh, them together yet, I still think they're probably in, like, OTP, end, yeah. end of show, you know. But, right, right, um, right. but if they're not going to do that, I think this was a good way to handle it. And um, having him recommit to Petra allows for a lot more fun and flexibility uh over there but then it also they need to again shut this down then for the next at least a season we can't have any yeah. any more jane and, and raf stuff for like a full season which doesn't mean that i want adam stuff <laughs> but, right uh but but i think that that's important to not have that coming uh back up again and again since they so effectively shut everything down um the another issue that I always appreciate when they bring up is finances and I love that, that is continuing to be a thread here. Uh we need I, I need I need Raph to have a bit more respect for for Jane and for the notion of not having money. And I don't think Mateo is too young to learn that money is something that you don't have an endless supply of. And that no, notion he's not. it's like that Raph, you are so clearly in the wrong here. <laughs> Yeah. No, don't uh, don't listen to don't listen to Mr. Sweetface, the recast Mr. Sweetface. Mm -hmm. Just acknowledge the fact that the kid needs to learn about money now. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't need and, to learn to stress out about everything all the time, but right. he does need to learn that there is such a thing as like things have costs and you can't yeah. just get anything that you want. Right. That's not how it works. And he is right. not too young for that conversation. No, and I mean he's not too young to learn about rich people showers. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, good times. So no, yeah, no, he's he's not too he's not too young for that. And it's a good conversation to have. And illustrating it by explaining karate is a really good way to do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. see. Uh, I mean, like having having them dip into the trust funds, and I thought that was a really specific way to handle some of their money issues. I thought it, yeah. I, it also is a big move um but one that uh you know like the idea that that is a conversation that's something that that raft does without talking to jane which it's his money he's yeah. happy to do it but like to to just do that without 
talking to her, letting her know that it was something that he was planning to do. So she mm-hmm. has a heads. That's the kind of thing that if you're a co-parent, I feel like you you deserve a heads up on. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. Like, like I'm going to do this. You don't have a say. It's not your money. But just so you know. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the, did you have any other thoughts on, on that corner of the show? Or shall we talk Petra and Anushka? Uh, the only other corner of that show that seems worth talking about is the fact that I, I appreciated the premiere just well, like, you know what? We haven't seen these characters in a while. Let's make sure one of them, all of them are at least soaking wet at one point and topless for an extended <laughs> scene. Let's just do it. And let's remind everyone how jacked <laughs> Ralph is the yeah. entire time. Yeah. But no, yeah, let's talk about Aneska and Petra and... Louisa, like, kind of really stepping forward a little bit as sort of a plotter, um, which was nice, I thought. Even if it's just very low-key in terms of, like, well, then who's this? And also, Petra, always check always check the corners, Petra. Always check the corners. <laughs> Gotta check the corners. Check check your eye lines. Yeah, yeah. It was, so it's that so, doesn't happen. It's so fun to watch Yale Girl Glass uh, play the, those levels, play the, you know, like, as mm-hmm. the narrator says... Petra as Aneshka as Petra, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to see that. And of course she, um, she nailed it. I, she was fun. A lot of, we're going to talk about the flash a little later in the podcast, quite a bit later in the podcast, but, um, I, it's just fun seeing her get to do some different stuff. And I, yeah, uh, I look forward to, to what comes next. The, it's a bit too much for me right now. Like, like, I, again, yeah. they need to figure out, they need to make sure they're balancing that subplot. But ha- having like a just an unapologetic villain turn or reminder of that's where we left things off with Louisa because of the way of Raph's treatment of her um, it, towards the end of last season um, was, I think, a good move. And it, it, she makes for a compelling antagonist, certainly. Right. And the fact that she's tied up in especially Raph's money situation mm-hmm. is important for the show to sort of like grapple with now when it's at the forefront. Um, but then they can sort of like let it simmer in the background, especially because it's going to take a long time to raise the amount of money needed for Sin, uh, Rose's escape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sin Rose's, Sin Rose's. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's move on then. Uh, let's do anything else to nope. American Vandal season Who one. Who drew the dicks, Kate? Who drew the dicks? Uh, I've seen some people talking about this and saying that they like that the show left things open-ended. But mm-hmm. they, as far as I'm concerned, they don't. They don't tell you. They don't tell you who drew the dicks. They, I, like some I'm just people keep think it's that. ambiguous. I uh-huh. do not think it's ambiguous. <laughs> I think they clearly tell you um, what okay. happened. Uh, I will say that I supremely enjoyed this season. It's like it's center wheelhouse for me. You know. Yeah. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it more than the other people that I was watching it with, or, or <laughs> like popped in and out uh, because of the meta element to have seen enough you know true crime stuff that yeah. i could really appreciate that part of it um but so so i don't think it's for everyone but i do want to thank carl for encouraging us to check it out because that helped tip me over to to spending a day with with american vandal and i think um anybody who listens to this podcast <laughs> will will enjoy it if you're the kind of person who listens to a two to three hour podcast about tv every week you're you're gonna enjoy American Vandal, and I guess I'll leave it there because uh, I don't want to get into it too much. And, and you know, if you have a chance to watch it or you're interested in watching it, and all, um, but I do think the balancing of the awareness of like high school life and the personalities of high schoolers um, 
with this true crime like it marries so incredibly well and it there the ending is surprisingly like poignant and and sad and also uh satisfying like there's some there's like it really balances its tone by the end really well and the pacing i think is pretty good um yeah my favorite character's got to be the cool te- the teacher who wants to be the cool teacher there mm-hmm. he goes on this like little mini arc that is delightful so i think i will does he sit in a chair with the chair facing backwards at any point? No, but he sits on a desk with a foot uh-huh. over a chair, you know, like in Cl- that's close enough. That's I close feel like enough. it's close enough. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's really it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So I will leave that there. I will move on to Survivor's Remorse, which had a series finale. And I was a little disappointed, if only because this clearly was not intended as a series finale. Um so it was a it was a satisfying season finale, but you know, a bit, a bit of a ah, that's too bad, for a for a se- season finale or sorry series finale. Uh, the the show has been terrific all four seasons. It's just gotten better and better as it's gone along, and I certainly am very grateful to it for introducing me to some of this cast. And um, I will be looking out for them in future projects. The dialogue, like the the way that they have it's 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 Sorkin esque in some ways. And because okay. uh, they'll go on these like long tangents and mini monologues within scenes, but with like, but there is a distinct sense of character to it, though. Um, so like, like when when M. Chuck says goes on one of those monologues, it feels a little different than when the other characters do. like. So there's enough specificity to it that it doesn't have it has the strengths of that sort of, you know, Sorkin-y lengthy monologue kind of. Uh, approach but with mm-hmm. more character specificity that i really appreciate and it's just been a pleasure to watch this show grow and uh, I, I i said i'll be watching this cast but i will also be keeping an eye out for the writers like i had no idea michael malley had this show in him i would have never guessed that huh. back before yeah. oh did you not know that yeah, creator and, yeah. and and head writer and showrunner and everything yeah um back before i started watching it and um i look forward to seeing what else's creative team you know, is interested in and what show they do next, if you know, or what various shows they splinter off to do. So, again, Survivor's Remorse on Stars. Uh, when you see Seasons Pass comes up, or, or like you can, if you can rent it, if you can, you know, find it on streaming, highly recommend four seasons, um, 10 episodes each, and each episode, e- each season grows and expands and takes on new su- t- subjects and topics. Um, being very thoughtful and and uh, introspective while also being really, really funny. Um, so yeah, Survivor's Remorse. I'm going to miss it. going to miss having it on my TV every week. Um, let's move over, though. I've been talking too long, so Noel, you, 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 you talked to me a little bit, please, about Broad City and Abby's mom, Perry Gilpin. Yeah, yeah Perry Gilpin came on uh, to play Abby's mom, which was uh, really great. Um, Perry Gilpin, um, for those of you who may not remember, was um, Roz on Frasier for a number of years. A number of years being like the show's 10. entire eleven season run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then she kind of like started like doing guest spots on a lot of stuff, and she was a regular on that Craig Robinson show a couple of years ago that uh, NBC burnt off. Uh, praise be because it wasn't very good. And um, but no, she comes here playing basically the opposite of Roz. As uh, this sheltered, frustrated housewife who finally just wants to cut loose, 
and wants to cut loose with Abby, and the sheer amount of discomfort that that causes Abby is delightful and weird, but then it gets gets resolved when they go to a sex shop, the three of them together with Alana, and it's it's very, very funny. Um, so I enjoyed having Perry Gilpin on in this sort of, like, surprise, but really pitch-perfect sort of, like, guest spot. But I also enjoyed all the stuff that involved Alana and her treatment for SADS getting increasingly ridiculous of having, having the, having the, uh, the, the lamp to get the, to get the vitamin D losing effectiveness and then, like, just papering the entire storage room with aluminum foil and then that failing and then needing to use this massive light bulb and it's just very very good but i also sort of liked how they pivoted to treating it really legitimately right at the end with rupaul's character and going like oh you're not running a con on me you're legitimately not feeling well you're legitimately having a type of depression right now oh well then i'm just gonna fire that other person and it's just like (laughs) He's rich, he can take it, and I just, I really appreciated that they treated it for a really solid amount of laughs, and then just went, oh, well, no, this is, this is actually a thing that we need to sort of acknowledge, even if we're going to joke about it a little bit as well. So I really appreciated the, the episode had a really nice balance on how they handled Alana's increasingly ridiculous treatments for SAD, but also treating it as legitimately as something that broad city can treat yeah so i enjoyed abby's mom a good deal how did you feel about it no i thought it was solid and i think um the perry gilpin was really terrific casting yeah uh, as well just like she she folds right into the universe of the show mm-hmm. um but this the this show this episode would not have worked for me anywhere near as well if they hadn't had that pivot at the very end uh, right. i thought rupaul uh nailed what they gave him and his uh it was a really terrific way to bring back that character uh from the first I, we've just seen him once or maybe twice before um once, in the think, se- yeah because yeah, you have the 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 audition sort of scene yeah. and then um then we've seen her at work a little bit but um alana that is but I, I thought that just like the ridiculousness and craziness of that character um then pivoting to maintain all of that, but also get this larger conversation about about depression in there really, really helped the tone because the what they do with Alana gets so ridiculous um, yeah. and so heightened that it really was taking me out of the episode. And mm-hmm. um, so, and, and I, they, of course, they thread the idea of maybe you need to talk to your psychiatrist and adjust your dosage of your of your antidepressants. And adjust your meds, and this is something you should think about, and not just try to have a lamp (laughs) and have that thing that's going to chemically fix your brain. Um, So, yeah, I really, because of how effective the end was, that made the rest of it really come together for me with the Alana part. And as for Abby, I thought it was it was was pretty um, one note for me, uh, pretty straightforward. But I thought they did a good job with that straightforward plotline and and when you find out the reason for that meaning that they wanted to pivot alana's storyline at the end rather than abby's i thought that that it it worked a lot better than the start of the episode made it seem like it was just gonna be kind of fun and and silly and oh look at abby having to deal with her mom having this (laughs) this, like crisis middle-aged crisis of of what has been her life and all these different things and uh yeah it was so so i think it, it really came together 
It did, it did. And yeah, no, I agree that I felt like it was going to be an overly broad episode, especially when we have like Bevers come out. Yeah. And Abby's mom just go, hey, Bevers. <laughs> just like, no, <laughs> no, that is, that no. is not okay. That's never that not okay. okay on, on so many levels. Yeah. And uh, so, no, but I appreciated that they like scaled back, but then immediately like snapped into something else of like, RuPaul's character firing Owen and then firing his own daughter because he doesn't work with family. <laughs> and it's just like, and we were both like ready for like a lot of his sides. I remember I was talking about yeah. it when they introduced that character and we were just like, this is going to be really good. They're going to get a lot of comedy out of this. And they're just like, nope, we're going to cut her loose now. And I just <laughs> went, I'm okay with that because the punchline was pretty solid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to our last show in our week in comedy, and that's Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And they found a way. They found a way to do Halloween again. I really I really thought they were going to have Gina show up at the end with mm-hmm. the real belts and, and have her win. Um, yeah. But rather, th- so like like that, that Jake switched out the belt but then gina had the real belt you know like he had pre-made a separate as you know so so that that she was also going to return victorious in that way um so i was very surprised by um the ending and i thought that it was such a a smart way to return to halloween and um a very fitting way to you know to i I don't know if they can do i'm sure they will find a way to do another halloween but that was such a smart way to cap what they've done before and to then move into the next chapter of the show, changing the show without changing the show. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It made me very, very happy. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I stayed up a little too late on Tuesday and just watched this and a couple of the other um, Tuesday sitcoms. And I was, like, screaming at the screen, Kate. It was, like, <laughs> 10 o'clock at night, and I'm just going, yeah! was basically my response when he was proposing with the belt and everything and then i I was just very happy about it but i also enjoyed like the ridiculousness of holt yelling at that poor corgi for not being cheddar (laughs) but also just like the whole discussion around handmaid's tale Mm -hmm. and uh rosa just being really frustrated that amy won't shut up about it (laughs) It's it's politically relevant as hell and just also, um, uh, um, was it Hitchcock or was it Scully? Hitchcock. Yeah. Hitchcock. Hitchcock yeah. going, what? The- Wait, what? That's just my pickup line with blessed be the fruit is just his pickup line. And it's just like, this is well, so bad. And it was just like, blessed be the fruit, baby. Or something like yeah. that. Like, it was just so it creepy. It was really gross. It yeah, was no, it was very gross. gross. <laughs> but it was very, very sweet, and I liked how very, also very upset Holt was that technically no one won, which mm-hmm. means he stole the reigning champion. But it also means that they get to do this next year for an actual like winner. Yeah, and I liked how hung up he was on that, uh, as opposed to being legitimately happy that um, Jake and Amy are getting married. Yeah. And, well, and oh like, God, their wedding is going to be so great. It is. That's gonna be. That's <laughs> gonna be a fun episode. But having uh, Terry have been in like last year was a prep for this year, and yes. like, like all of that was <laughs> in his six trackers that he's eaten. Yes, the yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> It was delightful. It was, it was, the pacing of it was appropriate. The wheels within wheels were appropriate. Mm-hmm. There was the, a, a good amount of characters, like which characters figured out the various schemes 
at which yep. times like all that worked really well um probably my favorite recurring bit was just andre brower saying cumberbund uh yes. which was amazing um yeah. and <laughs> the cheddar i will never not love cheddar <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was probably my favorite corner of of the episode, but yeah, the the actual proposal scene which you could you could kind of tell was coming just yeah. because of the way they kept hitting you can't surprise me so strongly, but mm-hmm. it was still so incredibly sweet and yeah. appropriate and like the call to her dad. I look forward to Jimmy Smith's returning. That's going to be super fun. Like there's so much that they can get out of wedding prep with this yes. cast of characters. Um yeah, they they can if they want to, which I I'm assuming they will. They can milk a solid four or five episodes just on various stages of wedding process, right. like easily, and have them all be entertaining and fun. So we'll see what the, what they do with that. But it's yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun wedding episode. It, it's gonna be a season or, or fall season or maybe into next year for uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine of weddings because we got this one, we got uh, Barry and Iris, we got you know, whatever goes down on Supergirl, uh, you know, they got a, a few pending. Right. And, um, there was another wedding, I think happening on CW that I can't think of. That's also in like the Arrowverse, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Ah, ah whatever. Anyways. Um, yeah. what wins your week in comedy? Oh, this is tough. Um, I think I'm going to give it to Brooklyn nine, nine this week. Um, if only so I can give it to crazy ass girl for next week. because next week's episode is well i should say the tonight's episode um as we record yeah as we record um is really really good kate it's really really good and the premiere Uh, is really good so that and this is just it's really it's a step up so just look forward to me giving it to crazy girl for next week but i'll give to brooklyn 99 this week uh so what about you um because you watched a couple of other things that i didn't get a chance to watch that were apparently really good yeah, no, I have to give a shout out to Better Things, which was absolutely gorgeous um, and funny. And it is like, uh, again, it was like half and half. It was half Sam at uh, like as an acting coach and mm-hmm. interacting with other actors. Uh, it was cool to see Jen Richards show up as one of the actors in the acting class. Um, and then there was her working <laughs> in a commercial, which then is prologue to what comes um, for the second half of the episode and i strongly recommend people check it out you don't it's it's standalone it's functionally standalone so you don't need anything else you can just watch it and it's really good um the it's called eulogy but it's no character actually dies (laughs) in the episode so you don't have to like you don't have to gird yourself for that (laughs) that's not what it's about but it's 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 really beautiful um and it's based on the um like there's a a title card kind of thing that pops at the, at the very end. It it seems like it's very very personal, and mm-hmm. it feels driven by that. And I would not be surprised if it is. And that because that and that that sort of intimacy and and the power implied by that is really uh, comes through in the screen. So I look forward to people hopefully reaching out if they have watched it and. You know, you don't need to have seen any other better things to appreciate that episode. Also, The Good Place had the trolley problem, and I'm not saying anything about it because you haven't seen it yet, Noel, and it's really nope. good. It's very, very good. It's like, this is a, it's a, it's a great cheaty episode. Like, oh, terrific. So, so there's a lot that of really good stuff tough. for William Jackson Harper, and, and also there, there's some really funny stuff with, um, like there's some, there's some potential arc 
like larger ramification stuff that I look forward to talking about next week. There's some really great stuff for uh, Kristen Bell and and like just being terrible, <laughs> being you know being a, a terrible person, Eleanor being terrible. But there's also this amazing little moment um, or scene for for D- to dance in. And mm-hmm. it, it's it's Michael and Cheedy talking, and it, like, he I mean, how can we still be surprised by Ted Danson? Like, how? Right. And yeah. yet, he's just—it's not a surprise, but he's really very—he's a very funny man. The guy's a really good actor, <laughs> and he nails this one little thing um, that is—is is, even though it's very much a Cheedy episode, that's my takeaway. So I will say nothing else about it until you have a chance to see it. Uh, and I, oh man, this is tough. This is tough because Chris's girlfriend was so good and Jane came back confidently and American Vandal was really funny. But I mean, Survivor's Rose, series finale, series finale. And yet I have to give it to The Good Place because I loved it mm-hmm. so much. It's all centered around the trolley problem of the Which morality. Makes it a trend because that's three trolley problem like centered episodes this year. Yeah. No, it's def- it's officially a trend. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, but it's really <laughs> everyone good. T- everyone took intro to philosophy this year, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners, uh, let me know what you thought about that, and um, and what like. I just don't want to quote one of the lines. It's five blanks versus one blank, but I can't because it'll spoil the joke. So, well, just, do you just, here? Tell you what, here, here, do it, and I'll take off. Yeah, so take off the headphones. Do it. Okay, so the <laughs> listeners, let me know if you would kill five Shakespeare's or one Santa Claus, because I would kind of love to see a poll of that. You can. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so I I would put that up on Twitter as a poll, but I can't because that would spoil it for people. And anyway, so we'll talk more about this next week. I'm giving okay. it to the good place. Now we'll take a break, listen to a little Talking Heads, and come back with our week in genre and drama. That was Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads, featured in Mind Hunter on Netflix, which of course dropped season one last week. Uh, we'll be talking a bit about that for our weekend genre drama. Then I'll talk very briefly about the finale of Room One Hundred and Four. Yes, it was still on, and yes, it has now finished its first season. Uh, then we'll check in with The Exorcist on Clean. Uh, I'll talk very, very, very like one sentence about Arrow tribute uh, before we go to the Flash, Mixed Signals, Legends of Tomorrow, Freak Show, and we'll round things out with Supergirl Triggers. Um, so first up is Mindhunter. Now, uh, due to just, like, happenstance of watching things with other family members and friends and such, I've seen the first two episodes of Mindhunter and the last episode and a half <laughs> of the first season wow, okay. of Mindhunter. <laughs> um, so 
maybe the last two episodes. So I think I've seen four of the 10 episodes and I look forward to mm-hmm. filling in the gap. Um, I did sure. at least see the first episode first. Um, okay. That's good. Yeah. And I feel like everyone needs to know listeners. Anna Torv doesn't show up until episode three. They should have been more clear about that in various reviews and people talking about this. Cause I was watching that first episode being like, okay, yeah, whatever. But when's Anna Torv? Sh-? And then nothing in the entire, I was like, what is, and then the internet filled me in. So, uh, Despite now you've seen the first two episodes, you you have not seen an, any Anna Torv yet. I have seen her; she's very good. It's so wonderful to have her back on my TV. We're both fans of hers from Fringe. Um, but so despite not having appreciated, gotten to see any Anna Torv in this, how'd you feel with the first two episodes of Mind Hunter? I liked them. Um, a lot of I think has to do with the fact that Groff's doing a lot of really good lifting here, especially in that first episode, uh, which I think is fine. Um, uh, my friend Danielle said that a lot of folks didn't like the first episode, and I just went, "It's it's it's perfectly competent." I don't quite understand what people's problems with it were, but I also didn't read any of the reviews going in. Mm-hmm. But it's just like it very clearly states a premise, and like the characters state a premise for what they're dealing with here in this sort of adaptation of the book um, that was in turn used to inspire basically Thomas Harris's entire Hannibal Lecter um, universe in a lot of ways. Yes, we should say that the book that this is based off of was a book written by, like, not a fiction, but like a nonfiction book about the development of the the pro the basics of profiling for serial killers and like even just like the terminology serial killer didn't exist yeah. yet and so the, it was about this i don't remember the actual name of the guy but the character that jonathan groff is based off of yeah. and that his sort of boss but also sort of a uh, collaborator you know like those mm-hmm. are two actual guys who went around the country who were in, in the fbi and uh one of whom had the boss had started the behavioral sciences division of the fbi and they interviewed a bunch of uh at that time just different violent killers the, the sequence killers was you know yeah. the terminology at the time um and there were some, several others to try to understand that type of pathology and what, you know, like this idea, they talk about it in this, there's a great line about it in the second episode. It's like, if we can't understand th- their type of crazy, how are we possibly going to tell other people about it? How are we possibly going to try to find yeah. these people? Because they think so differently than we do. Um, so it's just that exploration of, you know, like the that type of, of violent offender and killer. Um, and then how investigating that affects our protagonists. Right. And how then, like, extending it to, like, a cultural setting, a societal setting of, like, well, what's spurring all this on for us right now? Why is this happening? And they kind of provide some very pat sociological answers for that. But in enough that it basically provides a premise for the show going forward. So, like, Vietnam, Watergate, et cetera, et cetera, the collapse of an understanding of a paternal democracy and that kind of a thing. And... I think all of that's good and fine in terms of, like, establishing the show and everything. But a lot of this is basically just people sort of talking at one another, which reminds me a lot of Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And which I appreciated. Um, because, like, episode two is largely just uh, Groff's character talking to the guy playing um, Ed Kemp. Yeah. Who is Kemper? delightful. Kemper. Right, Kemper. Who is just delightfully polite and everything and just kind of wigs me out just a little bit which is the point oh 
We and, need a lot. He's super yeah. creepy. Like the constant power plays. Like he's constantly mm-hmm. bragging and doing it. Like, oh man, when he like touches his hand or like, oh, oh God. the wrist thing, and oh. I was just like, I, and yeah. it's it's a really fun little moment. But it's just like there's a lot of that stuff, and he, the guy that they get to do it does a really really nice job. But I mean, that's basically that entire episode. It's like talking to Kemper, and then that really cool travel montage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and th- I mean, that's basically the episode. But th- it's just a very sort of methodical. This is what we're setting up. This is the resistance that they had within the FBI, all this sort of stuff. But it plays really clearly, I think, and really compellingly. Like, I'm not bored by anything that I'm watching when I'm watching it. So a lot of that, again, goes to Groff, who's very, very good in this, I think, and has sort of like a really nice, fun energy level of weird, awkward, but charming in a lot of ways as well that is just it works it works really well and he manages to make what may have been something really boring be really really interesting yeah for fans of hannibal like the the dynamic with our two central fbi agents is very similar to like if there was a more of a collaboration and less of a hierarchy with jack yeah. crawford and will graham in the hannibal tv show and um it, it, if, if will was less twitchy and more dweeby <laughs> um yeah. that, it would be that and this this notion i've seen other people talking about this on on twitter as well so this is not uh a kate original but uh i concur with this idea that what they did is instead of taking like the 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 serial killer um, profiler character who's grim and just, they've seen a lot of stuff. They just made him a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it does so much to freshen that trope and that kind of character. Just, he's like, he, he's, he's just a dweeb. Like, like, like the guy was like, I just oh, want I know just things, guys. I just want to know things. I want to learn. I want to learn. Like, like, <laughs> like, but your shoes, dude, of course your cup, your shoes. And, or, or the, the Ed Kemper, this is like, Oh no! You just seemed like you had the you 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 know you seemed like a virgin like your yeah. aura just like you know like something wrong with that <laughs> and obviously there's he's an insane um uh, serial killer so you know there's a lot of manipulation happening there you can't necessarily trust what he's saying but just that like it's like no this is the vibe you give off as like someone who would be in in their thirties and hasn't had sex yet <laughs> although I guess the character's twenty eight. Which yeah, is late twenties. Yeah, late twenties, which is an interesting thing to think about. Um, but um, anyway, so I I thought it was really strong, um, and it's very appropriate for this time of year. If you're looking for like a pre-Halloween kind of thing, and you aren't up for rewatching Hannibal, um, I think this is a really like the timing of this release is really uh, works well. The end of the season has a really, and especially having seen the second episode now thinking about because i saw one and then like nine and ten and then two (laughs) so i look forward to filling in the gaps because then the i think the i'll like the end even of the season even more than um than how much i liked it when i first saw it but um yeah it's 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 a strong season um i don't know that it's gonna be you know something that sticks in my mind for you know like where i'm coming back to certain performances over and over and over again at the end of the year but um Certainly, the central cast are all really strong, and Jonathan, Jonathan Groff is just, uh, it's just, I think of, like, his, I was first introduced to him on Glee, and, yeah. and obviously, I really loved him on Looking, but just thinking about, of course, and Hamilton, you know, as the, the as the King George from the original Broadway cast recording, not the original King George, um, it just, 
I appreciate his range and mm-hmm. it, it's just such a far cry from how much I did not like that character or that performance on, on Glee at all. Um, so yeah, I, I'm glad that I am able to get such enjoyment out of his him as a performer at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really have like a huge connection to him mm-hmm. um, beyond like seeing him like like small guest parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I've never not liked him. Yeah. So yep. Yeah. One of these, you know, maybe maybe next year I'll make you watch Looking for the Make You Watch a Thon. Yeah. And we can there you go. We can talk about it. Um, let's move on though. I'll move on to the next episode. And that's Room One of Four, which had its finale. My love, and um, oh, you know, what we should have mentioned about Mind Hunter is the the mood and the we, the giant credits and the the ah, cinematography ah, ah. and everything set such a distinct tone. It's very right, fintry. Yeah, it's very Fincher. So if you're you you were especially like the first two episodes at least, um, Fincher directed both of them. Um, that it's it's a very Finchery type of approach to aesthetics. It's not like aggressively Finchery, mm-hmm. um, but it, you definitely feel his touches throughout the episodes. Um, and yeah, those location title cards are just amazing. They'll basically cause your television to fall over. They're so large. Um, yeah. but they're fun though. I like them. Memories um, of Fringe. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. no, it's it, aesthetically, it's a it's a solid show. It's not like I don't think it's overtly. It's not aggressively aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, which I like. Um, right now. Uh, but it's also like for me anyway. It's only the first two episodes, so I'm not expecting like a lot of aesthetic sort of firework. It's. Definitely more in a Zodiac vein than, which makes sense, than some of the other Fincher um, projects. Yeah. Um, well, the reason I thought of that was that in the Room 104 finale, um, I love, they they adjusted the opening credits score, like theme, just this, like, tweaked a little bit to f- to match the tone of the episode, or at least that's what I was picking. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, that's what I picked up on. Um, it, this is about uh, an octogenarian couple who returned to the hotel uh, where they consummated their marriage um, like 50 years later. And it's uh, basically a showcase for Philip Baker Hall. And my main note here is how do you waste Philip Baker Hall? <laughs> I mean, he's he's such an amazing actor and he's doing his best. And it's just the it's just not that interesting of material that they give him. Um, it's some stuff that you've seen before and he does it very well. And the direction is good. They really just stay on him and trust he gets this long monologue and and it's really terrific but again it was just i appreciated that they didn't do some some twists and like think that they just grounded it in that but again i need more originality if you're gonna do a show like room 104 where it's it's an anthology series and you don't have the same cast you don't have the same characters you just the only thing that connects is is that it's in one setting which is a hotel room and then anything else goes you can do whatever you want as long as you stay in a hotel room for the duration of the episode that you need to be really creative and original. And the episodes in this season that have stuck out have been those ones that did that. So the internet uh, episode, the the ballet episode, like there was a stretch in the middle there that were much more interesting. But like, man, I'm not coming back for, for Room 104 season two. That is not happening. <laughs> Maybe if there's some amazing episode people tell me about, then I'll like watch that one episode. But like... You got to do better if you're going to be an anthology show. There's the only thing bringing people back is the overall quality, and yeah, 
the the decision your, your ability to take risks and do things they haven't seen before um and if you don't nail that i mean it's it's well made it's fine but there's so we watched 30 shows this week <laughs> there's so much tv uh this is never gonna rise to the top for me right and i i feel sort of the same way in that i just started like deleting episodes mm-hmm. where i just read the description and went I don't want to watch that. And I would just delete the episode. And so I think the, like the last episode I watched was Red Tent, mm-hmm. which was like two weeks ago, maybe three. Yeah. And that was like the last one I watched. I haven't watched My Love. I think I may have deleted it already. Sight mm-hmm. unseen. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I feel like it peaked really with the ballet episode. And then everything else I kind of watched after that, when I just, or read the descriptions of, I just went, that doesn't sound very interesting to me. So I just, I, I've stopped, I stopped watching basically. Um, and I feel okay with that decision, especially yeah. after watching Red Tent, which I didn't really find particularly compelling in any way, shape or form, despite what it wanted to clearly do. And it didn't do that very well. And so I was just like, eh, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. As a person who felt stupidly obligated to keep watching it for whatever reason, uh, yeah. You did not miss much of anything. There are some some good performances, but again, a show like this, it's just always going to come down to the material. And with the good, yeah. with the with strong cast, they've had a terrific cast, and just about like every episode, they've had really terrific actors. They can elevate it, but they can only elevate it so much. Yeah. So you know, then you just then it co- just comes down to the writing, and they needed to be more original and more creative. So. Uh, yes, Ramona 4, I'm not going to miss you. I'm going to miss so many other shows. I'm not going to miss you. Um, The Exorcist had its third episode on Clean, and we started to see um, the the two groups, and I guess there's three different groups sort of happening, different subplots happening, and two of them started to spin towards each other in this episode. Uh, I want to talk about this because I've actually really been enjoying this. Again, very seasonally appropriate, and... Not, yes, John Cho, for the John Cho of it all, we, we love John Cho. I've said that enough the last yeah. few weeks. But um, I, I've, I really enjoy, I think they, what they do this episode is really key, which is they have an exorcism where the priests are, are tackling. That's not an exorcism. And I thought, yeah. I thought it was so key, so crucial to do. Um, and it's, it's just the way that they're going to get the priests into the foster home. Um, and, and because there's that the, the same... Um, uh, caseworker caseworker yes is, social worker whatever. is going to be yeah. able to call them in um now that she's met them um so it was a smart way to do it and having them interact on something that was not supernatural i think was such a smart call i look forward to seeing where this is going and they also killed a bunch of characters i really didn't care about so thumbs up um it's been it's just been the right level of campy the right level of spooky um, there's some gore, but it's not over the top. Uh, it really feels like they're saving some of the stuff they want to do until later right. on. They're building nicely. They're building this dread. Uh, how are you feeling about this season of The Exorcist? Um, I'm liking it so far. Um, we're approaching the point where I sort of like lapsed, uh, last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I realized that one of the reasons I lapsed was partly just, interest but then the world series got in the way which is a major problem for fox is that the world series gets in the way of all their shows (laughs) um so but no i'm liking this i'm liking how uh the priests and the john cho uh plot lines are sort of will eventually converge because i remember being like how are you guys gonna justify this coming together in any way shape or form and it's just like oh this is how you're gonna do it 
this works for me. I'm, 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 I'm good with this. I'm good with this. And your point about them dealing with an exorcism that's more like, um, whatchamacallit, Munchausen's? Yeah, similar to Munchausen by proxy. Yeah, Munch- Munchausen's by proxy is really good. And I, I really appreciated that. And I think Ben Daniels and Alfonso Herrera uh, do a really nice job of navigating that kind of trickier material. And also, thank you for IDing Herrera as uh, being on Sense8, because that was driving me crazy. <laughs> In the premiere yeah. of this season's premiere, because I just went, wait, that guy looks really familiar to me now. He didn't look familiar last year because I hadn't watched Sense8 yet. And I just went, why does he look familiar? And then you then you said that he was on Sense8. I just went, oh, that's it. Yeah, I like would not have connected that at all if I hadn't no. been like Google. Like, because it, it, it's not like it's a totally different performance. But, no. But there's, there's enough of a difference in the characters and... And in in the physicality of the performance, and the costuming makes a huge difference. Yeah, well, that, I just I wouldn't have <laughs> yeah connected. You know, I wouldn't have connected those two at all, despite yeah. you know loving Sense Eight so much and having yeah. watched em- enough of season one of this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So no, I'm in, I'm enjoying what the Exorcist is doing so far. Um, I'm charmed that they think we care about everything happening in the church and the church <laughs> takeover of demons because I sure as hell do not care. Uh, when that was reintroduced in episode two, I just went, nobody cares about this at all. Well, which and is then why just... you kill the cardinals. <laughs> right, but then you've got the other priest and then this vigilante demon killer who like are going to team up and do stuff. And I'm just like... I don't care. I don't care about a grand conspiracy. I care about these two priests going on road trips and dealing with demons. I care about a really religious supernatural, Kate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I, I, I was rewatching some Supernatural this week, and uh, I almost, almost am ready to start watching it again. There's almost uh-huh. been enough time since I killed Charlie. We'll see if I do. I'm definitely watching their Scooby Doo episode this season. I'm very excited about oh, that. Oh, God, one. it's going to be so great or terrible but both at yeah. the same time <laughs> but i do think that that is a really apt parallel because that yeah. is basically what it is it's just with less camp and with more yeah. and with more uh this is a bit more dour so yeah matching some of the earlier seasons of supernatural with just a different flavor to the bromance um yeah, yeah so i do think that i wouldn't have thought of that connection but obviously it's like right there and having a i do think that they're doing a good job here of of getting me invested in the foster family. Yes, and, they are. And that is not necessarily a given. I, I think that last season, I think having that time to really get to know that foster family before the priests show up has benefited yeah. this season. Um, yes. Because obviously Gina Davis is terrific. And and I like the whole cast, everything, you know, Alan Ruck and every that they had last season. But getting some time where obviously something is wrong, but it's more of a, like they have other stresses in their life. Right. Aside from, you know, the clearly whatever supernatural possessed teenager. Right. Yeah. But, um, so getting that time to really commit to get, get connect to them before we have the pre-show up and everything goes next level, I think has been really effective for them. So yeah, I think I get the sense of them and enjoy this a little bit more than you, but, um, but certainly I'm surprised to to I was like I'm excited when it shows up on my DVR. I'm like, oh, I have one of those to watch. Let's watch right. it. While it's really sunny outside, <laughs> <laughs> not in the middle of a day long thunderstorm like last week. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm gonna I think stick with this one longer than I did last season at least. 
Yeah, no, I probably will as well. Um, prov- but God help them if John Cho dies before, like... Oh, yeah, no, well, that will God work. help them if he dies. <laughs> but um, if they kill him off before the end of the season, I'm out. Yeah. I, I don't care how good it is. I will walk away. Yeah, they're going to have some trouble if they <laughs> if they do that, certainly. Uh, let's move on to Arrow and Tribute. I want to mention... I wanted to mention Arrow this week just for two things. First of all, I love the little character thing subplot they had this week of of Felicity finding out, like of of them just wondering what everybody does for a living. <laughs> like, how do they have money? <laughs> and because Felicity finds out that, um, oh my goodness, Mister Terrific, whose Curtis. name I can't remember, Curtis. Curtis, yes. Finding out that Curtis has a has a has a like a side hustle job. He's like another whole other job uh, to make money because vigilante ing doesn't pay. Um, and they had mentioned a poll. I'm still want those two Aww. kids to work it out, even if they're not gonna, but I wish they would. Um, so, so them talking about like, well, obviously Lila is in charge of Argus. So like she makes the money for them. That's why he doesn't have to worry about money. And Oliver has like an insane amount of money. He lost it and got it back. Right. I have no idea. I was about to say, does he have any money? Yeah, but... The, Where the, is he living now? The, is he still living he's in the bunker? Living, no, no, he's living in, in the apartment that was... Oh, right, he's got the other apartment now. Yeah. Um, and obviously Captain Lance how's Fel- and Renee. How's, Fel- how's Felicity paying for the loft then? She's paying for mm-hmm. her place with the settlement money from selling selling Palmer Tech. But they, that's, oh, okay. that's the that's how it comes up because she's, she wants to start a company with Curtis. Um, when she oh, finds okay. it, she's like, wait, you have a job? Cute. But you're... You should work with me instead. <laughs> and so it's really cute. So it's like having that just little touch of reality, I thought. Um, and just, it was a nice comedic beat, but it also um, is a good sign of awareness. Uh, like just like so these little punctures of the, the right. ridiculousness of what they're doing, I think go along. I can't way. wait for The Flash to do that in season six when they finally address how Cisco's is able to pay for anything. <laughs> All he has to do is develop like some tech and sell it to some company for a bajillion dollars. Like I'm, I have no trouble with like believing that. But, um, there there was so I wanted to mention that that was really nice and I appreciated it. I also wanted to mention that um I thought I noticed in the scoring for Arrow this week and also in the scoring for the for the Flash, but I watched them like back to back, so I could be blurring my mind about this. I wanted to throw this out to the listeners. I feel like there was some like cheeping or beeping in the background of some of the scoring. That I don't usually hear on Arrow. Uh, it definitely was on Arrow. I think it was, but I thought it was also on the Flash. And so that had me curious: is this something that's gonna connect, like tie into the eventual crossover? They've definitely been mentioning Oliver more on Flash, like and and they, like they've been bringing up the, some like shared universe stuff just in passing a little bit more. And so I'm curious if this could just be nothing. It could be an element to the scoring that always happens that I've just never noticed before. But I thought it was really interesting that they, in like this more emotional scene, there was in the background this like beeping that you wouldn't normally relate to. And it was like an electronic or technical kind of, technological kind of sound. So if they, if it was happening both in Flash and in Arrow, either it's something they assumed you wouldn't notice, the composer didn't notice, didn't care. Um, or maybe it's something that will tie into something with villains, and then you'll find out that there's been some larger thing happening overall. Now that I've said it out loud, it sounds ridiculous, but I want to know if anybody else has noticed that or if that is just me. So I wanted to mention yeah. it here. I didn't notice anything on Flash, but I also watched the screener. The screener was complete, 
<laughs> but um, I didn't hear anything along those lines. But sometimes the sound quality on those screeners just isn't very good. Yeah, um, I'll have to like so... pay more attention. It could have been a legend, or I don't know. I'll I'll have to just when I'm watching next week, I'll certainly be listening for it. And it wasn't loud, wasn't prominent. It was just like part of the mix. Mm-hmm. But just again, on a, in a scene where you would expect more strings or low horns or like a oboe or something like that kind of a thing, just in the yeah. mix there was like this beep. So I will keep y'all apprised as I watch the next couple of weeks episodes. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to mention in the Flash mixed signals? I mean, I was very glad we got some more therapy. I was uh, there's right. some therapy in um, Good Place, uh, Noel. Uh, so okay. I, I was glad for another entertaining therapy session. No, I like the therapy session a lot in that it dealt with a lot of Iris's um, concerns with Barry being back, but also like where she was positioned in the team. So I really appreciated that, but I also appreciated how sort of the show kind of played with that by having Barry to have rush away. Um, but yeah, no, I really appreciate that. But I also just appreciated the episode's overall tone of like a really ridiculous meta with well maybe a meta but maybe someone who got their powers from the thinker or mm-hmm. whatever it is and so i enjoy that kind of a season one approach but also just love the whole ridiculousness of uh cisco's new suit for barry just running haywire for no for the only reason to have all of this is so that they can do these jokes and i appreciate that so the life the life float Mm-hmm. bubble uh the why he needs an iron man pulse repulsor pop from his glove who knows the self-destruct I, oh if only we, I mean, it's not like we've ever had to fight evil barry we have yeah there's a good reason for all this i, right. I love that that montage or that sequence no and i i think having the self-destruct made sense um because <laughs> like even batman sort of has like a any countermeasures for if someone like tries to take off the cowl it like shocks them typically mm-hmm. So I appreciated that that was stuff that was built in, but I just appreciated how overboard he went with it, but managed to find justifications for each of his overboards. <laughs> so I, it was a very fun episode, which again is keeping with their promise to continue to be a lot lighter than they were last season. So here's hoping based on the promo for episode three, which had cartoon sound effects of Barry slipping our marbles that this will continue. Yes. I do need them to stop nerfing Kid Flash though. Yeah, um, they do need to stop doing that because he's Wally's. Wally was going very fine on his own, and also he's the most popular superhero in Central City when Barry's not there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and he's he's proven himself to be absolutely competent. Right. I mean, there's no reason that he should be treated um, as uh, a sidekick. Yeah. Well, it's it's there's just not a lot of respect there. Yeah. Um, and there should be, and it would be nice to see the show actively address that from Barry. Yeah. Um, yeah. cause it's, it's just, it's not necessarily overall the show that's doing that. It's mostly just Barry who is yeah. doing that. And his dismissive tone towards, um, really his, the whole team, this episode was very much an intentional thing for them to address with, uh, Iris and her role on, in the team now. Um, so hopefully that's something that will get a little bit more, um, yeah, we'll get a little bit more screen time, and uh, hopefully we'll get a couple Wally episodes. Uh, when you have a team of superheroes of color, basically, and a, the white guy shows up and is like, no, you all just backseat. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Like, yeah. There's an added level of uh, of awareness 
that the show needs to have to that, I think, uh, like the messaging of that. So uh, I'm hoping that that's something that they're intentionally steering into and then we'll address. But we'll we'll see. I also love, love Cisco (laughs) and Gypsy's dynamic here. I like that they brought her back. And I just they've brought Cisco so far since the first season. I love that he's this like smooth operator lady killer (laughs) at this point with Gypsy, at least, um, while still not uh, losing his charm and his awkwardness and his stupidity. At times, even if that subplot played a bit into the women, they'll never tell you how they feel, like 90s jokes. But uh, yeah. but I'll take that if it means I get like suave, confident, awesome uh, Cisco as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> yeah, and we got less... Caitlin and like no frost this week, which I think was a good call. So we'll see yeah, what happens with that. Caitlin got back to her old, old wardrobe, so she's not bartending anymore. I guess <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, let's talk Legends of Tomorrow and Freak Show. Um, Billy Zane shows up here. Um, the, <laughs> a lot of this episode didn't really work that well for me. It was just sort of yeah. a hodgepodge. Um, they're really steering into eventual hookup of Sarah and Time Bureau Lady. Um, yeah. Sharp? I want to say Sharp. Sharp. Yeah, I want to. Yeah. yeah, something like that. It's a bit uh, OTT for me, yeah. but, um, you know, fun to. Like, I'm like, sh- Sarah is a graduate of the, of the League of Assassins. Like, you should yeah. not be able to hold. Be, be, you should not be able to hold your own in a fight with her new lady that's ridiculous um so they're a bit overpowering her unless unless sarah was like trying to just stall for time which you know i would have no trouble believing that she was like taking it easier on her to like stretch for time but um yeah this the stuff that they did with amaya here i thought was good um i like if they're gonna keep her on i like that 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 it's a very active part of the show of her motivations for being there and not being there. And then them not just ignoring that part of it or kicking yeah. the hand down the road. Um, so far she reintegrates into the team, I think with a better tone for that character than she started yeah. out, which helps. And um, I think the real highlight of this episode, we can both agree is not anything that I've said, but all the Titanic jokes. Oh man. And it was a dual it was a dual layered Titanic joke because you've get Victor Garber saying, I'm not gonna step foot on the Titanic. Whoever built that deserves to be just shot. Yeah. And then of course Victor Garber played the guy who designed the Titanic in yeah. the movie Titanic. Yeah. And then we got Billy Zane in the yes. episode. And it's just like, this is delightful. I'm very happy that we worked this in before Victor Garber left. Yeah. Because otherwise I would have been very sad that we just passed all these opportunities to do these jokes. But no, I agree with you that the episode was just really kind of hodgepodgey. Um, that as good as Billy, as much fun as Billy Zane was having, especially towards the end where he's just like popping off the gun mm-hmm. at uh, Nate um, and just getting into the scenery chewing of this version, this version of P.T. Barnum, that it just kind of, I, I lost the thread at some point, but I also just didn't care that I lost the thread. Um, just because it was kind of silly and fun, and the entire idea of chasing after a saber-toothed tiger that keeps shrinking and then getting bigger and then shrinking. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, but the, the show has leaned into its ridiculousness, which is 
why the show became much more watchable than it was in the first season. So I'm not willing to like body check it too hard. It just wasn't like as grabby an episode as I was hoping for. Yeah. Um, but what was, I would say, a more successful grabby episode was Supergirl and Triggers. And I gotta say, this is a much more entertaining and successful use of Yellow Grab Glass than when she showed up on, was it Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Yeah, it was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She's much better here. Yeah, she is. Um, and I wish that she'd gotten, like, a little more to, like, do from more of a, like, someone else to talk to so that we could have, like, seen her outside of, like, this particular, um setting but um the the idea that she could come back like at the beginning of season four since who knows when else Mm -hmm. she would have time to show up but i also like the idea that she's just gonna start showing up on every cw show now i'm game yeah i am game for that i think that'll be a lot of fun um let's see i'm trying to think about yeah so no i enjoyed that i enjoyed like the sort of low-key stakes of the fact that she just wants to rob banks mm-hmm. like she doesn't want to like take over the city or destroy the city or she just i just want some money money's power and that's kind of all i want right now yeah and uh yeah so just you guys go off and i'm just like oh okay cool mm-hmm. and so it, again it reminded me a lot, lot a lot of like flashback in the day where no one wanted to do anything but rob shit and i was just like this is much better than I want to destroy this city and teach it a lesson. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, yeah, no, this is this is a lot more fun. You can do more things outside of that because it's just like, well, we have to wait for her to rob a bank. So <laughs> we can do other things like have Lena and Kara navigate having a work friendship and what that means when they have to fight and how that works and, and how when, that makes Noel very sad when they fight and yell at each other. And when Kara <laughs> no longer has a boss who's like a top boss who's aware yeah. of her secret identity and is totally fine with her disappearing <laughs> at random times. Right. Uh, yeah. Adds more attention to that. No, I, I, I agree with that. I loved the way they handled it by the end of the episode where Lena is like, okay, you want to be professional? We'll be professional. This is unacceptable. Yeah. If you do this again, you're going to get fired, um, which I, I, I again, the way, the balancing of that throughout the episode and then at, at the end was really terrific. The specific inclusion of I didn't just buy a media company for my friend. Uh, but was you did, like, Lena, you did. No one's buying did. it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yes, it's an investment, but like, come on. Uh, I thought that that was, was a, you know, they sold it with the delivery and everything. I thought that was a fun little inclusion. But um, for me, that was just really great to see, to get some sense of PTSD from Kara yeah. for being, because like, who, like, she was in there for who knows how long in the Phantom Zone and just trapped in this like pod, having watched her entire family explode. And like, I had never thought about that. Yeah. About the fact that it's not like she likely i mean maybe who knows but it's not like she'd travel all around in spaceships all the time as a kid she lived on this planet so it's yeah. not like she would be used to extended journeys in a small pot and then so so giving her that like tapping into that for this episode about about fear and having that be her fear and not be like fear of losing everybody after losing monel like this was not a monel based thing and that was very smart uh, i also really liked um just giving her a regular panic attack and, like, what happens yeah. when a superhero just has a panic attack and they can, 
they need to get out, they destroy the building <laughs> flying yeah. out. And an elevator, and it's just like, oh, God, another elevator we have to replace in the Catco building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I thought, I, for me, that, that part of it really worked. Um, the... The stuff with um, bringing, I guess, future rain, but the Odette Annabelle into the the sphere of of Lena, I think, is smart. Um, it gives us a good reason to to be uh, following that character, and I liked some of the tension with James and and Lena. That I thought that was a bit overblown. And the other thing uh, we should mention, uh, they want us to think that who are all these TV characters getting engaged who haven't talked about kids. That is stupid. I know. Nobody yeah, no. does that. No. No one does that. I mean, that's a conversation, especially depending on, like, where you are within, like, your life, that you have a discussion about fairly quickly, depending. Yeah. And it's sort of weird that we're just, like, having this conversation now when they're engaged. And I'm just like, I was having the same issue of, like, no, wait, you guys should have had this conversation already. Not on screen, necessarily, but you should definitely have had this conversation already. Yeah, well, like, the notion that they're planning their wedding, and they're doing the details and minutiae of that, but they've never, especially with all the issues that Maggie has around her, like, her teen years and her parents and growing up, like, they've talked about that enough. You'd think that the issues of, like, wanting a family versus not wanting a family should be pretty straightforward conversation fodder. Like, that's not a stretch. And yes, I know they're getting engaged uh, quickly, and they've not been together that yeah. long. But still, I just think that's that's very ridiculous. Like, like Daryl and White Josh are talking about this at this stage of their relationship and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That is when you talk about it. You don't talk about it after you've proposed to someone. Right, and you're you've got like a wedding binder yeah. already. Yeah, and it's just like no, that's not when you have this discussion. You discuss it before the wedding binder. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, any other thoughts on Supergirl? And if not, what wins your week in genre and drama? Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm gonna give it to Voltron. Mm -hmm. Um, which had its uh first pod of season four episodes. Um. And they were good. Like, I mean, they're not core level yet, but it's they were good. They were entertaining. There's an entire episode in which a worm in turns a guy basically into a um, agent who works them too hard to do USO shows, basically, that get increasingly elaborate. And it's a very funny episode. Um, and it's it's a great deal of fun. So th the show does really well when it like shifting gears tonally but it is it's always nice when i get like a handful of episodes of the show to watch since that's how they're dropping them now mm -hmm. and i get to watch them like in the course of like a day or like spread out across like two nights so i'll give it to voltron this week uh what about you well i mean we didn't talk about it here but halt and catch fire clearly yeah. wins the yeah. week in, in genre drama but if you're talking about just like that's gonna have its own segment coming up next right. so yeah. aside from that i'll give right. some love to mind hunter i think and that's one okay. that if, if you're down for a somewhat uh dour and uh dark but still entertaining episode uh, like series like crime kind of show then i think you'll be very pleased to check it out i think yeah, because it, it's it's also it's like one of those drab kind of everything's a little a little green, a little brown, yeah. you know, kind of shows. So maybe it's not maybe you're looking for something more 
you know, like you're more on the Alana side of things. You want color and light <laughs> this time of year. But uh, but if you're looking for something more moody, I think you'll you'll be pleased with with Mindhunter. So I'll mention that one here. A few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf. Tears on Halt and Catch Fire, because it's over. Um, you can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. And you can leave us a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV and what you think of Halt and Catch Fire and, and all these other shows that we're talking about right now. You can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can uh, you know, leave a rating or review there. We would very much appreciate it. You can also find us in Stitcher with our M4A feed there and leave us a rating review there as well then we're up on facebook you can like the page start up a conversation or of course find both of us on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and so now we'll listen to a little bit of uh, music and or the theme i should say to halt and catch fire and come back with dennis perkins of the av club to talk about the the series finale and the the whole run of a show we both love um which is halt and catch fire so we'll be right back after this hey hey why are you doing this? This puts the future squarely in the hands of those who know computers not for what they are, but for everything they have the potential to be. What? You know who said that? No, no, I don't. You did. Page 36, closing paragraph. Computers aren't the thing. They're the thing that gets us to the thing. What would it be if we were to do it all over again? Remove ideas. Okay, then how would we run it? Well, we call it, um, I don't know, Phoenix. Oh, I like it. <laughs> back with the televerse this is kate calls joined us ever by noel kirkpatrick and this week on the dvd shelf we just we had to do it we had to talk halt and catch fire um after this terrific final season and really at least one if not two before then uh and so i'm very glad that returning to the podcast from the ab club is front of the show dennis perkins to help us talk halt and catch fire dennis dennis welcome back hi everybody thank you for having me um so halt and catch fire has been it's it's sort of like our weekend drama award has pretty much been the halt and catch fire award uh, for this whole last season uh how is how has the the final season been for you um for those who have not yet read your reviews um as well as then how did the finale pale that off for you what, what did you, have you been enjoying this last season dennis oh yeah no i i i would say that the, the, the show is one of the the biggest. I, I would say it's the most successful, kind of mid run or early run kind of retooling of a show in TV history, as far as I can see, as far as I can think of. Um, 
it, uh, you know, we could talk about the first season. I had issues. Um, I think a lot of people did, but, uh, the second season was just, um, uh, astoundingly, uh, uh, a, a great surprise. And then it just got better and better. And this, this last season is just, has just been the most, it was just kind of the most graceful, confident kind of, uh, uh, season of TV I've seen all year. Just really, really good from top to bottom. It's been incredibly warm. And I've been mm. thinking about that for this season. Not that there hasn't been plenty of difficult or painful stuff that they've been tackling this season, particularly with Gordon, of course. But um, but I, that, wor- that word is what keeps coming to mind for me, specifically thinking about the visual palette as well of the show. This is a show that likes reds. It, very clear costuming choice with that in this finale. But also just the yellows. and It likes the glow of a new idea and of a sunset. And they, they've had both of those sort of that feel of the, both of those throughout this last season. Yeah. I, I think I, one of the things I, uh, I noticed, uh, in, in the finale, and we can talk about the finale, but just, there's a, there's a, a scene and I, you're, you're always, you're, you're always so great at, um, sort of noticing the visual stuff much more than I am every time we talk. And, but uh, it really struck me. There's a scene where they're trying to recover the data on Haley's computer and Donna has to go get ready for her party. And so she leaves Cameron there and Cameron is, as ever is dressed in her kind of uh, overalls. And she's got this kind of creamsicle orange shirt uh, with the overalls. And then Donna comes in and she's wearing this red dress and the the camera just keeps going focus forward focus back and uh it just it it just seemed like such a conscious choice to have such warm friendly kind of not primary colors but solid flat planes of color um just representing how uh warm how warming their relationship was uh, at that point and uh yeah i agree well and of course then when when cam falls in the pool what <laughs> shirt does she borrow but a, a fuzzy warm sweater red sweater sure. i should say and yep. yeah drawing that's that's if we're gonna talk power colors that's that's uh donna's power <laughs> color so yeah no it's a lot of, of again warmth for me in this finale noel how have you felt about this this final season as if our listeners didn't know spoiler we love it <laughs> but Noel, right. how was the finale for you no i, I really enjoyed the finale it was it wasn't as big as an emotional sort of gut punch as I was expecting. I think just because everything had been so, I had been so waylaid by everything that led up to this. I was, uh, I, I think I was more engaged by sort of like quiet sort of stuff, but even thinking about when we're talking about colors and shots and aesthetics of like, I don't, I can't really remember like shots from the first season of this show, but I can sort of remember other shots from other points in this, in the show's run. And I've like, the one thing that stood out to me aesthetically and shot and color wise was Joe and Cameron sort of realizing, Oh yeah, this, this worked for a while and it was really good, but we're sort of done. And then they're just like, here's a big painting and cool blues and whites of an empty field area type of thing to show <laughs> the gap between the two of them. I just went, 
oh, yeah, that's heavy-handed show, but I like it. I like it. And um, so this is a show that I think matured in so many ways, just from a writing level and then just from an aesthetics level of that it really found its footing. And this season, I think, really encapsulated everything that they had steadily really built up to. And it just... It was really impressive um, to Dennis's point about like the on the fly retooling that they did um, between seasons, but then also just the fact that they figured out their language on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, within especially within the last, especially within seasons three and four. The uh, speaking of the the colors in the finale, one other thing I wanted to check with you guys on. When you talk about remembering other shots, certainly a shot that I always think of is Donna at Diane's, like her other house, and running her hand along those coats. That was mm-hmm. those were white, right? Because in my, I was connecting her white swimsuit to those fur coats, and this just this re- reminder that yeah, you've gotten this thing, this thing that you were so wanting. In previous seasons, but then it occurred, why would a fur coat be white? So, I'm. Do you guys remember that shot? Do you know what I'm talking I, about at all? Is that just me? I do. I can't remember the colors exactly, but that sounds exactly right. That sounds this, like the sort of parallel that they'd make. But, but yeah, definitely. Yes, this is not a show that has cared that much about subtlety. Certainly, in the last yeah. couple of seasons, and normally that is something that would really bother me. But for whatever reason, I do not care for Halt and Catch Fire when, when they go for something obvious when they go when they mm-hmm. have characters stand somewhere and like a light bulb turns on over their head as they get <laughs> an idea which I they've done at least once on Halt and Catch Fire but because all of their instincts as storytellers on the show come from such an honest and truthful place and because all of the emotions and the character beats f- feel so completely earned i really don't care if they're gonna pan over to the obvious <laughs> painting choice in the middle of the scene right and a painting that i'm pretty sure we never even saw before <laughs> it's very possible yeah. the I, I picking up on what kate was saying yeah i mean that I think, you know, that there is a certain level, and especially in that finale, which I, I really did love, where I felt like, uh, I think this is, this turned into very much kind of a writer's show, or a, I, the, the adjective I, I always like, I like, I like the adjective writerly. I, I, I think of it as a, like, kind of a novelistic show where they're not afraid to go, to take big swings for symbolism or big swings for parallels and not hammer them home but certainly you know that's part of what they're doing and uh it just it it works i think like kate said it it works because it's they found a way to root all of that stuff in the characters that they didn't have in the first season and also that they um uh they just they're good at it. It 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 is a very warm and very human show at this point. And uh like that last in, in that, that last episode, there were so many moments where I was like, you know, they're not gonna have Cameron fall in the pool or they're not <laughs> they're not gonna you know, when Donna and Cameron are saying their first goodbye when Cameron's kind of going going out of town and uh Cam has been you know, the, their relationship has thawed to the point where we saw them having a fun dinner and, you know, they've 
they've kind of edged back towards where they were, but they're not there yet. And Cameron's on her way out of of the t- of town, out of the state, and maybe out of Donna's life forever. And we're not getting satisfied. And then there's a scream from the other room, and it's Haley, and her computer is melted down, and that prolongs the evening. And I'm like, this is contrived, and I don't care <laughs> uh, because I need this to go longer and I need them to have the real kind of rapprochement that they finally do have. And, uh, it's, so I don't care. Uh, it, it's, it's beautiful. It was like when they, when they were, when, um, Donna finishes or finds the level on Cameron's game on Pilgrim where, uh, (laughs) she finds the goal and the goal after this episode of sort of heavy symbolism about, you know, what Cameron wants and where, what it is that she, that everyone is looking for is she finds this, this secret level that no one else could get to. And she climbs up to it. And it's this, it's home. It's, it's this cabin and it's kind of glowing from the inside. And, um, I was like, it's on the nose and it's on the nose that Donna would get it when nobody else could. But again, it's so beautifully done and it's so rooted in the characters. that I just, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I think that's a really good point about like being writerly, especially a lot in this last season. Um, I picked up a lot on how they did a lot of like scene pairing. So we get like Boz and Diane sort of uh, recommitting to one another and ready to move on with their lives in a lot of ways now that he's healthy. And then we get Haley going to the restaurant to ask out um, Vanessa. Is her name Vanessa? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to go see natural born killers of all. <laughs> um and then like getting shot down and like the that whole like coming together of a relationship and then a breaking of one that hasn't even started yet really and just they keep doing these kind of scene pairings across like this season in particular i feel like and they always work and but each time i'm like conscious of the fact that they're doing them because the show doesn't really hide the fact that they're running thematic sort of things between scenes in really obvious ways. But like Dennis's point is just like, I don't care because it works really well and it's really effective and it, and it hits me. And that's really what matters is just like, even if you're being obvious about something, if it hits, then it really doesn't matter if it's obvious at all. Well, and speaking of scene pairings and things being obvious, the last scene in the finale (laughs) is apparently a, like a mirror image uh somewhat of the first scene of the series yes mm-hmm. yes yeah. okay i didn't care about that because i didn't remember because the first season was bad um was. <laughs> and so having i say that as I, i'm being somewhat facetious i only watched a few episodes before i i you know very happily broke with the first season did not watch the rest of the first season i, th- I thought it was such an interesting choice like i understand the draw of 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 symmetry and of wanting to cycle back and of ending with Joe for that reason. But it struck me as such a strange choice despite that, because this, as we've said, is a show that has so like actively restructured itself and gotten better every time that they've, you know, felt that the balance was slightly off. Uh, so ending with like, cause we get that lovely, I've got an idea 
and yeah i'm totally confused about what you're talking about kate because the show ends with i've got an idea (laughs) i don't remember anything else happening after that we got a joke (laughs) like oh okay i guess he's alive that's and i say this as someone who just last week was talking about how much i have loved pace's performance this season and the writing has been so terrific and i'm shocked to find myself caring about and rooting for joe at this point and all these wonderful things and then i'm just like go away (laughs) it's not about you it's about mommy and mommy (laughs) it is and i think that's because i mean the episode i mean joe bookends it but it's it's all donna and cameron basically the whole episode becomes this sort of just chamber piece about those two women in that house and their relationship because and i i think mirroring mirroring the show bookending it with joe um the, the series with joe and that one scene is sort of i don't want to say it's 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 not an apology for what's come before but it's a recognition mm-hmm. that um the show that it started out as was joe's show and joe is still an integral part and and again i agree with kate i mean lee pace is that was one of the things that pissed me off so much about the first season i saw these really good actors and actors i didn't know who turned out to be exceptional actors like mackenzie davis and carrie uh, Bish and you know the but it it became a completely different show that to become a better show had to jettison a lot of what it was built on and what it was built on was the idea of Joe the super cool mystery man anti-hero and so we get the scene in the end of you know we don't know what happened to Joe and it's late it's months later it's years later and Joe comes up and he's driving a Lotus of all things. I mean, like the coolest, like rich guy car. And he's got his cool suit and he's walking into this building all self-important. And then when we find, you know, I mean, again, with symbolism on the sleeve, his office, his department is, it's Joe McMillan humanities instead of, you know, the Joe McMillan kind of cyber cool guy, yuppie he was at the beginning, this sort of walking plot device. Um, Joe's now human again, and he's got all of his super cool manipulative uh, skills that he always had, but he's it's all in service of something a lot more human, which is what he became over the course of the show. And, and just speaking of taking big swings and taking big chances and, you know, it takes a lot of balls to end a big show or to end a series about people making these kind of big, uh, you know, step out of the machinery kind of uh, choices by using Salisbury Hill, which is like one of my favorite songs, but also one of the most cliched kind of verts, you know, soundtracks to that kind of moment yeah. that you can have. <laughs> and there's I groaned actually, a little bit. I won't lie. I did, but then it really worked. I got goosebumps because I was like, you know, they're, I think they know what they're doing. And the fact that they have the line in the Peter Gabriel line in the song where he says, uh, you know, they'll know what that smile on my face meant. And it's when Joe finally smiles in his classroom. I'm like, might as well just go all the way with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the way that they turned this show around, I, I feel like that's what we should make sure, one of the things we have to make sure we talk about here, the way that they turned this show around. I was scrolling through the credits and I was very surprised to see that the writer's room was they're pretty much the same in season one and season two, the credits at least. Mm -hmm. And I would never have guessed that based on the, 
the way like based on the jump in perspective the the for me the jump in quality and just interest in the show because the characters got so much more interesting um yeah, I think there was a good show there in season one trying to peek out, but it just had all the wrong impulses. Um, and then there's a shift in the in the writer's room for seasons three and four. But um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of other shows that have so adeptly redefined themselves. And something like, you know, like Grey's Anatomy comes to mind where they have such a revolving cast. But I, I'm having trouble thinking of any other shows that just gave themselves a completely different tone and mission statement. Yeah. I, I have a hard time. I, you know, when I was writing the, the final episode, I kind of wanted to talk about that and, but I couldn't really think of any better examples. Um, because it is, I think, you know, the show and, you know, it, it's a cliche and it's one that I'm certainly guilty of, even though I think it still holds true is that AMC was looking for the next Mad Men and they were flailing around. I mean, they were trying out shows like, I mean, somewhere in there, they tried out shows like, you know, Low Winter Sun, which I also <laughs> had the misfortune of, of doing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, stuff like that where they, you know, it's like, we need the next uh, Breaking Bad. We need the next Mad Men. We need the next, you know, white male antihero who you love to hate and hate to love and uh, so we've got this idea and it's Joe McMillan, man of mystery. And he's, he's going to come in and we've got the period piece element too. So we got that Mad Men kind of vibe. And, uh, so we can, we can seed that all in there and it's ready-made. It's good to go. It's like, you know, keeping with the, you know, it looked really good coming out of the box kind of as a, <laughs> as a mm-hmm. really flashy, like the Cardiff, uh, you know, giant, it, it, it looked great and it, when it when you booted the thing up, it really you saw that it was a lot of kind of empty flash for a while, and um, it took it took between that first and second year. Um, you know, I'm always glad to review <laughs> to get work and to review a show, and I, I I liked enough of the people and enough of the stuff involved that I was ready for the second season, but I wasn't ready for how um, profoundly. And clearly the the creators, Cantwell and Rogers, had taken a step back and decided, you know, that we need to fix a lot of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's it's fascinating to me. I mean, we're talking about season one a little bit just in terms of like its general sort of failure. And the show is something that's in itself is like aggressively about failure in a way that kind of make, reminds me of like the venture brothers in that th- these are all just really failed failures of people um not to say that this cast on Holland catch fire is they're failed but the show itself they keep making things that are always right on the edge of something great and then they get usurped by something else and it feels like the show like on a meta level sort of acknowledged that in a lot of, in how they kind of kept going forward of like, we were intended to be this next big thing. And then we couldn't be that. And we were chasing this pipe dream of being that next big thing. And that's what killed us. So why don't we sort of embrace that whole idea as a foundation and then just build it into our own sort of perspective of we're going to invent e-commerce and we're going to invent social media and we're going to invent the Yahoo web portal. And then people are going to beat us to it first because they're on the toolbar. Mm -hmm. And 
I just, I really liked how that sort of ended up becoming a weird sort of meta narrative within the show of like, yeah, we were supposed to be Mad Men, but Mad Men got here first. And now we're just going to keep reliving this, this, this trauma over and over again by refocusing it on these other two characters that don't necessarily have the same type of baggage that we were saddled ourselves with in season one. And it also, it just started to sing in really lovely ways um, to the point where to going back to like an aesthetics discussion, they can get away with putting a graphic overlay of the Phoenix logo in neon and then allowing it to fade away and no one go, that isn't something that you do show. And then we all just go, but it was really cool. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a sucker for that kind of move when it's done well, when, when you have a, somebody in the story gets so carried away that uh, it, it changes the visuals of the, yeah. of the story. When I, I think of like, there are two examples, uh, the bathroom, the commode story in Reservoir Dogs, uh, when Tim, Tim Roth, uh, he's telling, he's repeating that story over in his fake story. And he's eventually, he's just transported into the story itself. First time I saw that, I still get goosebumps. Uh, and uh, there's a movie called Choose Me, where um, uh, uh, Leslie Ann Warren and Jean-Via Bujol, they're having this conversation and uh, on the, over the phone, and, and they're getting so swept up. And at one point, they just cut back, and Leslie Ann Warren's on the phone, and you see as she's pacing back and forth that Jean-Via Bujol is actually in the room with her just for a moment responding. And it's just like, if that sort of really heightened, kind of artificial, go-for-broke, kind of visual, kind of almost joke that kind of rhapsody is if it's done well like it was with the phoenix thing I, I just you know just embrace the artificiality of it as kind of a representation of something bigger it's it's yeah. it really works for me this finale really hammered home what became the thread uh, of the series uh one of the threads of the series at least and it is such a fascinating thing to explore within the world of tech um, and so fittingly appropriate, you know, as we see in, in the finale and the sense of because the show is always exploring connection. And that's what it kept coming back to the thing that gets you to the thing technology as a means of connection versus the end in itself. And what this finale does is it just keeps reiterating and reinforcing the meaning and the power and the value of things that may be temporary, but that doesn't negate their what they have how they've affected you so the the notion of G, uh, C uh cam and joe might break up but just because they broke up just because they're not going to be together forever as the you know dan savage likes to say on his podcast savage love and his advice call and everything uh, just because you don't you know stay together until one of you dies doesn't mean it wasn't a successful positive relationship so just because comet didn't win the browser wars doesn't mean it wasn't a great place to work for as long as they were able to keep it going and it doesn't mean that they didn't learn so much from it and that they won't inspire future things and you know, showing that first of all the end of 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 the joe and cam take two like the much healthier <laughs> and <laughs> and to them um in the same episode as the, that that montage about phoenix i just thought was such a lovely way to reinforce that just because something doesn't last forever doesn't mean it, it wasn't a beautiful thing while it did last. And that's a lot of the times what friendship and what connection really is. 
Yeah, here, here. <laughs> yeah, you can see because when Cameron is, you know, she finds that Joe has pulled a Joe after they've broken up where he didn't tell her that he left town and she finds his empty apartment. And uh, then just like she's about to leave Donna with things unresolved, um, you know, those are the, the classic kind of dramatic cliffhanger kind of tropes that you get. You know, it's people who need to grow and people who need to recognize, you know. Um, to mature about how they deal with disappointment and failure. And, you know, they're through these kind of, again, kind of artificially heightened kind of ways that just work so beautifully, <laughs> improbably. Um, we see that they've gotten there. Joe has pictures of Cameron and Haley and, and Gordon in, in his office. And he has an old Cardiff giant that he's found somewhere, <laughs> you know, in a dump somewhere as a reminder. And it's not, you have a sense it's not, painful and it's not uh it's it's part of this new healthy person that he has finally been able to become can we get a hear here for that by the way because when's the last time that happened on a tv show (laughs) 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 the the asshole genius brilliant but difficult genius actually becoming a more mature better person (laughs) and dealing with their trauma like, yeah, I, I've already mentioned Grey's Anatomy once. That's one of the things that I love most about Grey's Anatomy is the 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 very clear trajectory they took Meredith on and having her acknowledge, address, get therapy for, and process her her early life trauma. You know, over the course of several seasons, and actually change their main character. Uh, but really, again, I can't think of many. Certainly, not many in the antihero type. That by the last season, you're like, actually, no, this is a good person now, and like, and. If you want, it's hard. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of time, which a lot of TV shows don't cover the amount of time you would require. But if you want to change, you can. It's just hard. Yeah. And it's not, it's not conducive to uh, continuing the narrative. You know, if your narrative is built on, you know, this kind of succession of, of failures and traumas and, breaking up and coming back together and you know uh healthy people don't do that as much (laughs) yep well do we have any final elements we want to mention about the finale about the series as a whole and we haven't mentioned like any of the performances or any of these other elements or any side characters like noel kick us off final final points that we need to make sure we mention well, I think that the main cast uh, has always gotten plenty of credit, even if they haven't gotten, like, awards credit, even though I feel like that's wrong that Mackenzie Davis and Carrie Bechet haven't really gotten the sort of awards attention that I think they both definitely deserve. Um, but I think for me, the big thing and one of the big pleasures of the fourth season was Susanna Skaggs, who plays Haley in season four, and she's just really incredible. I think this was, like, her first major television role ever. And especially towards the end, I felt like she was really channeling a lot of like Scoot McNary's energy and mannerisms that she that he had as Gordon. And it especially like towards the end after Gordon died, it just started kind of keying in some of like I felt like she was channeling McNary's performance a little bit. And it just made me very happy. (laughs) 
And but I really can't wait to see like what she does next. I can't see wait to see what like Mackenzie Davis and Carrie Bechet do next as well. But I'm really excited to see what Skaggs does does next because it was it was sort of like finding something really new and shiny in this in this last season. I was very excited about that. So yeah, I want to give her some love because I thought that her work as Haley in this season was really 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 good. Uh, Dennis, what about you? <laughs> Holy cow. Um so much uh yeah just uh you know i throwing some a guy we haven't talked about uh just because um i want to is is toby huss who's just toby uh, huss. we love him so much you know, he's uh you know i think he was one of those characters in the first season too where you know you need the officious stick in the mud kind of asshole bureaucrat and uh he was in danger, you know, of uh, of being lost to us, and they did write him into prison. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but Cam came and and recognized, you know, they, their bond. I think was something that grew out of, you know, those two performances. And uh, he became. I mean, if he if you need someone, he gives one to Joe, uh, in their little garage meeting about halfway through the season, and he gives one to Cameron in the last episode. If you need a benediction going forward in your life, someone to, someone to kind of sum up, forgive, and then kind of pronounce you, uh, yeah, sort of forgiven going forward. Um, you know, that you want Boz because, you know, that's that final speech to Cameron, you know, is, uh, is remarkable. It's just, it's one of those things that I will treasure. Um, going forward he's just he's a character who came he seemed like an afterthought when it first started and he became the heart of the show absolutely um and i'll also mention that i have not liked annabeth gish this much in like anything <laughs> yeah and, and she's so terrific here how yeah. dare you she was terrific and pretty little liars as the therapist how dare you i don't no. think i saw <laughs> Um, and Catherine Newton also does a really good job of making a very difficult character of Joni very uh, watchable and relatable I I thought the the little that phone call that we get with her oh that phone call and Don is so amazing oh we're gonna choke up here okay um, we also need to mention the wonderful for the most part representation uh, of (laughs) queer characters um, mm-hmm. making Joe uh, just sort of very folded into the character that he's by and he's out with his friends. Um, I When you talk about thinking about moments, the, the moment of him finding out that he was not HIV positive, uh, the way that they handled yep. that in the previous season was amazing. Um, and then the way that they've handled Haley, I thought this season was been, has been really lovely. Um, her her uh, coming to some level to terms or, or awareness of her sexuality and uh, also, we got to mention the music, I think. Mm-hmm. Another shot I, I always think of with the music is the end of Kali with with Cam just on the grass, having destroyed. <laughs> like, talk about the phoenix, talk about the fire <laughs> burning down, uh, you know, everything that Joe had spent so much of that season doing. Um, really terrific music uh, throughout the show's run. Any other last shout outs, guys? I think just following up on what you were saying about 
Joe and his sexuality, I think that was one of the things that really soured me on that first season. I was already pretty sour, but I think it's the third or fourth episode where they spring Joe's bisexuality on us as like a shock, like a shocking twist. Yeah. He, he seduces this, this sort of kept man of, of Gene Smart, who's this would-be investor, and she's giving him the hi-hat, and he ends up seducing her boyfriend. And uh, it's just it just was so distastefully deployed, you know? And I was like, ugh. <laughs> it was just... But the way that, yeah, it, it became... It became not central, but it became just a fact of Joe's character to the point where... Uh, in the first episode of this season, he he and Gordon, where they show their montage of them kind of bonding over the years, and they're having a camping trip, and Gordon just out of nowhere asks, you know, you know, why didn't you bring Ozzy? And you don't, they don't really go into it. And there's enough in Scoot McNary's performance to suggest, you know, it's one of those things where a guy who's not totally comfortable with the idea of his friend's sexuality reaching out and trying, uh, but just the way it's it's sort of be, it became uh just part of part of joe's character was was i thought incredibly mature from compared to where it started absolutely i was i was nodding vigorously no one can see that but i was nodding vigorously <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah okay well we've gone long we could keep going <laughs> for could. a lot longer um but thank you dennis for coming back on to talk Hold and catch fire. Uh, final oh, thoughts on the series. Go for it. Holy cow. Um, just, uh, <laughs> you know, just to steal their line, um, the show was, it started out being more about, you know, the thing, which at the time was, you know, when Joe and Gordon, you know, their first project was basically stealing someone else's idea and trying to replicate it. And that's, you know, what Noel, <laughs> Noel was talking about that side, sort of metatextually. That's what it felt like Halt and Catch Fire was doing. You know, it was trying to, you know, take the, the formula of prestige TV and, you know, churn out a product that would fill a niche in the marketplace and just the way it became not about the thing, but the thing that gets us to the thing. And the thing it got us to was just one of the most warm, human, and lovely. The word that keeps coming back by the end is, is graceful to me, you know, because it, it is it did have a certain artificiality to it, which is kind of how I think of the word graceful sometimes. But it artificial in the best way. Um, that's sort of grounded in in sort of a, a very realistic wish fulfillment about people becoming better people. And uh, it's a show that I, you know, if you'd asked me at the beginning, I never would have said this in a million years, never would have guessed, but it became one of my favorite shows. Yeah, I have the same sort of response. Like, I mean, I tweeted, like, when I sat down to watch the um, finale, I was just like, oh, I'm not emotionally prepared in 2017 for the Halt and Catch Fire finale. And then me in 2014 was just like, why are you still watching Halt and Catch Fire? And no, the answer is that it's very warm to Dennis's point, but it's also in it's a show that embraced this concept. And I mean, I went I waxed a little poetically about this when they discussed it a little bit um, in the show itself. But like it 
it was always versions of itself, but they were always itself in some ways. And then they just kept upgrading, basically, and finding different versions of themselves as a show, but also like as these characters that just really started to work really well after they stopped trying to steal someone else's idea that had already existed. And it just... It was it was such a I really like graceful and elegant for this show, especially towards the end. And the only other thing I'll say in a joking manner is that Atlanta's never looked better as two totally different states. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 notion of grace, I think, um, is a nice place to end it on. And, uh, you know, the swan absolutely still on top and never they never never stop swimming underneath uh all the work that goes into making something appear that smooth and that still and that graceful um it's it's a beautiful show if you listen to all this we've managed to like not spoil anything so very little um well one big thing but uh (laughs) anyways you should watch hauled and catch fire and uh you don't you can just start with season two if you want you don't even need to watch season one if you want to go for it that's wonderful and and if not you can just like watch a few episodes and then jump into season two and you will not be glad you did because it is an absolutely beautiful lovely show that i'm still amazed we got four seasons of the ratings did not deserve it but yay hashtag ptv yay platinum age <laughs> it gave us four seasons of halt and catch fire uh dennis thank you again where can our listeners find you and your work online uh twitter i'm dennis perkins five and uh, uh my main gig is still the av club uh i just i review a lot of tv shows there and do some other stuff too and uh it's uh it's, it's my home so uh yeah i'd love it yeah, everybody go read his stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm biased, but that's okay. He's Even if I wasn't, he's an excellent writer. Um, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.